Section 20 of The Flight of the Heron by D. K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eileen. Part 4, Chapter 4. Keith ventured nearer. Why is it so difficult? You trusted me that night. His own voice was not much less moved than the Highlander's. I am not changed. It is circumstances which have brought about this horrible situation. The head stirred, but did not raise itself. Yes. That night I thought you generous, kind, charitable, beyond anything that could be imagined. It was not what I should have expected from you. Afterwards, I saw what a simpleton I was to think you could have done all that for me without some very good reason. For by that time next day, I'd learned what that reason was. Is it fair, is it just, pleaded Keith, to believe what a brute and my enemy said of me behind my back, rather than to judge me by my own actions, Ardroy? You were too humane, said the voice dully, and you did ask me about Lochiel. And must I have had an ill motive behind my humanity, as you call it? You cannot say I pressed you for information about your chief. But you found out that I had it. It was so difficult to answer this that Keith did not attempt it. What motive, then, he urged, brought me hastening back here, into disgrace, into complete ruin, perhaps? Is there nothing in your own heart to tell you? When you hear that I've been broke for neglecting my duty and offending my superior officer on your behalf, Ardroy, will you still think that I betrayed you to Major Guthrie? You enraced his ravaged face. Will you swear to me, on your word of honor, that you never told him that I knew Lochiel's hiding place? I do most solemnly swear it, on my honor as a gentleman. I never saw Guthrie again till the day before yesterday. And will you swear, too, that you had not already suggested to him that I knew it and would tell? asked Ewan, narrowing his eyes. No, I never suggested that, answered Keith, with a steady mien, but a sinking heart. Nothing but the naked truth would avail now. And yet its nakedness might prove too ugly. I'm going to tell you exactly what I did suggest. You will not swear it. I thought as much. No, I will not swear until I have made clear to you what I'm swearing to. Yes, you must listen, Ardroy. Tis as much for your own sake as for mine. He dragged forward a stool for himself. Go back to that scene on the mountain if you can remember it. Do you think it was easy for me to find weapons to save you with? When I rushed in and caught you as you sank down by the wall, and when I stood between you and the firing party, with that scoundrel cursing me and ordering me out of the way and telling the men to set you up there again, I had to snatch at anything, anything to stop your execution. I told Guthrie who you were. Too important to shoot out of hand like that. Afterwards, he asserted that I had implied that you, as Lochiel's kinsman, would give information about him. As God sees us, such an impossible notion never entered my head, and I said that you would never do it. It was as we were riding away, so he replied, that devil. Then it is not worth my while to fetch him into camp tomorrow. He can rot there in the hut, for all I care. And I saw that you would rot there, unless I could persuade him to send for you. Being at my wit's end, I made a most disastrous suggestion, and said, loathing myself the while for saying it, 
that it might perhaps be worth his while to fetch you into camp on the chance of your of your dropping some hint by inadvertence and he ewan had given a sharp exclamation you said that you did say that it was true then what he told me god and how much more no more said keith wincing no more on my soul and i only said that to hoodwink him into sending for you you cannot think that i you advised him to take me for that reason interrupted ewan dropping out every word while his eyes which had softened began to turn to ice again and when you came back that night you never told me what you had done is not that somewhat difficult to explain no said keith with a sigh it is easy i was ashamed to tell you that is the explanation and yet i only made the suggestion because your life so it seemed to me was in the balance when at last i had brought myself to the point of confession you had fallen into the sleep in which i left you if i guessed but of what use is regret now and audrey you cannot imagine that i really thought that you would or that anyone would try by force to he suddenly covered his eyes with his hand and presently he heard the highlander say in a strange dry reflective tone yes it ill becomes me to accuse another man of treachery and then even more quietly you say you did not believe it when they told you that i had made a disclosure voluntarily i ought to thank you for that the tired voice seemed for the moment empty of emotion and yet it wrung keith's heart as its frenzied reproaches had not he uncovered his eyes nor do i believe it now he said vehemently if it is true that they have got your secret from you then i know that they must have half killed you first no said ardroy in the same dull tone they have not laid a finger on me here yet i have told them what major guthrie nearly flogged me to get for me if keith had seen a visitant from the dead he could not have stared more wildly that's impossible he stammered i don't believe it you don't know what you're saying ewan's lip twisted a little why by your own admission you said that i might drop a hint inadvertently the shaft went visibly deep oh, forgive me he exclaimed hastily it is true i think i do not know what i'm saying oh let it pass said keith recovering himself only in god's name tell me what happened ewan shut his eyes it is quite simple after all it seems that i still at times talk in my sleep as i used when a boy i was warned of it not so very not so very long ago he paused keith gave a stifled ejaculation and had time to taste the immensity of his own relief this then was the explanation of what had been to him so inexplicable or else so abhorrent under his breath he murmured oh, thank god but ewan his eyes open now and fixed on the other side of the room was going on when i was first brought here i was too ill and feverish to realize what they wanted of me afterwards when i knew well enough since they openly asked me for it so often and it was what major guthrie had wanted too and when i felt that the secret might slip from me in sleep because it was so perpetually in my mind i resolved never to allow myself to go to sleep except when i was alone 
but I so seldom was alone. At first I thought, very foolishly, that this was from care for me. Then I discovered the real reason, for I think they must have been hoping for this result from the first. Perhaps I talked when I was in Guthrie's hands. I do not know. But for all my endeavors, he gave a dreary smile. It seems that one must sleep some time or other. And the fifth night, two nights ago, I could hold out no longer, and being left by myself I went to sleep, and slept a long time, soundly. I thought that I was safe, that I should wake if anyone came in. Ewan stopped. I ought to have cut my tongue out before I did it, and I would have died for him, <laughs> died for him. His head went down on his knee again. Oh, good God, murmured Keith to himself. The methods that he feared might not have been used, but those which had been were pretty vile. And, though their victim had neither given the information voluntarily, not, at least, in the true meaning of the word, nor had had it dragged out of him by violence, his distress was not less terrible. Yet, surely. Ardroy, he said quickly, and touched him on the shoulder, are you not leaping too hastily to conclusions? No doubt you may have said something about your secret, since it was so much on your mind, but that in your sleep you can have given any precise information about it, I cannot believe. Granted that you were told that you had, perhaps in hopes that you would really betray yourself. Why did you believe it, and give yourself all this torment? Ewan raised his head, and out of his sunken, dark-rimmed eyes, gave Keith a look which wavered away from him as if undecided, and then came back to his face and stayed there. Despair sat in those blue windows, but behind despair could be caught now a glimpse of a more natural craving for sympathy, which had not been there before. Because, he answered, his hand gripping hard, the plaid over his legs, they had written down every word I said, every word. In the morning they read it over to me. Of course I denied that it was correct, but there it all was, the secret that only I and one other besides Lochiel himself knew. Never having seen the actual spot myself, I'd learnt the directions off by heart. It was the last thing I did before the battle. He shuddered violently, and once more dropped his head onto his knee. Oh, God, that ever I was brought away from Drumossi Moor. Devils, said Keith, under his breath. Cold-blooded devils. But who had first suggested that Ardra should be watched? He sprang up and began to pace distractedly about the room, but that thought could not so be shaken off. Yet a rather stinging consolation dawned on him, since the prisoner had acknowledged to him what he had denied to his inquisitors, that the information was correct. He must trust him again. He must indeed, for he had thus put it in his power to go and betray him afresh. You'll tell me, I suppose, began Ewan's dragging voice again that a man cannot be expected to control his tongue in sleep. And it is true, he cannot. But they will keep that part out, and Lochiel, all the clan, will hear that I gave the information of my own free will. Is not that what you have been told already? And as Keith, unable to deny this, did not answer, Ewan went on with passion. However it was done, it has been done. I have betrayed my chief, and he will know it. If I were only sure that it would kill me outright, I would crawl to the breach there and throw myself down. I wish I had done it two nights ago. From the camp, 
where a drum was idly thudding, there came the sound of cheering, and the broken room, where this agony beat its wings in vain, was flooded with warm light as the sun began to slip down to the sea behind the hills of Morven, miles away. And Keith remembered, with wonder at his obtuseness, that he had once decided that Ewan Cameron was probably a very impassive person. What was he to say? For indeed, the result of Ardroy's disclosure might very well be just the same for Lochiel, as if he had made it when in full possession of his senses. One argument, however, leapt unbidden to Keith's lips. His chief would never believe that Ardroy had willingly betrayed him. Would Ardroy believe such a thing of him? he asked. But Ewan shook his head, unconfident. Lochiel would not have allowed himself to go to sleep. I did. But you must have gone to sleep sooner or later, expostulated Keith. Lochiel himself would have done the same, for no human being can go very long without sleep. How do you know? asked Ewan listlessly. I cannot sleep now when I wish to, when it is of no moment if I do. Keith looked at him in concern. That admission explained a good deal in his appearance. If this continued, he might go out of his mind, and yet one was so powerless to help him, for indeed, as Ardrey had said, what was done was done. He began to pace the room again. Suddenly he stopped and swung round. Perhaps he was not so impotent to help, after all. Somehow that idle drum, still beating out there, with its suggestion of march and movement, had revived a memory only twenty-four hours old. "'Listen to me, Ardroy, he said quickly, coming back and sitting down again. "'But tell me first. You would only expect Lochiel to take to this refuge, would you not, if you were skulking, as the phrase goes here, not if he had a considerable body of followers with him?' "'No,' admitted Ewan, looking faintly surprised. "'Only if he were alone, or nearly so. But he is alone.' or at the best he can have but a handful with him. "'It is there that I think you are wrong,' retorted Keith. "'Though that may have been the case at first. It is evidently so no longer. This is what I overheard yesterday.' And he told him, word for word, what had fallen from the officer who had been scouting down the glen. Ardroy listened with a look of a drowning man sighting a distant spar. Oh "'My God, if only that is true!' "'No,' If the clan has rallied somewhat, he would not be in hiding. Yet, after a skirmish, or if he were surprised. But consider, urged Keith, that, if they are so numerous, only an attack in force would be possible, and Lochiel could hardly be surprised by that. He would have scouts posted, surely. And after a skirmish, supposing the results unfavorable to him, he would probably withdraw altogether with his men, not go to earth in the neighborhood. If the place is searched... Believe me, it will be found empty. The eagerness with which Ewan hung upon his words was pathetic to witness. You are not, he asked painfully, inventing this story, out of compassion. No, no, I heard it exactly as I have told it to you, and I can see no reason why the speaker's statement should not have been true. And, whether true or no, he thought, it will have served a very good purpose, if it prevents this too tightly stretched string from snapping altogether. Ewan drew a long breath and passed his hand over his eyes, as if to wipe out a sight which was too much there. Then his head sank back against the edge of the seat behind him, his hand fell away, and Keith saw that he had fainted, 
or as near to it, as made little difference. He supposed that his attentions would be permitted now, and, grabbing up the bowl, dashed some of the water in the Highlander's face, then, putting his arms round him, succeeded in shifting him so that he could lay him flat upon the pallet. But Ardry was not gone far. In a moment or two he raised his hand to his head as he lay there, and murmured something about a ray of hope. Then his eyes opened, and looking straight up into Keith's face as he bent over him, he said clearly, but with a catch of the breath, "'Forgive me, if you can.' "'I've so much to be forgiven myself,' answered Keith, looking down unhappily at the dirty, haggard wreck of his young Achilles, "'that I can scarce resent what you, of all people, have thought of me. "'Oh, Ardry, what a cursed tangle it has been!' Are you well like that, your wounded leg? The blue eyes held on to him. You have not answered my question. If you could forgive me for so wronging you, I know I've said unpardonable things to you, you who saved my life. Keith took into his own the hand he had scarred. Forgotten, if you will forget what I said of you. But what have I to forget, asked Ewan, and he suddenly bit his lip to keep it steady. I think I have to remember. And indeed, indeed, Wyndham, I did not doubt you lightly. I fought against it, but it all fitted together so devilishly, and I was not sound in mind or body. And now, selfish wretch that I am, if you are broke through what you have done for me. But it seemed as if it were a third person who fancied himself in more imminent danger of that fate, for Ardroy had got no farther when there were hasty, hobbling steps outside the door, a fumbling with a lock, and there stood Sergeant Mullins, much flustered. "'If you please, Major,' he said, sadly out of breath, "'will you come away at once? I misdoubt you'll be found up here if you stay a minute longer, for I saw Lord Loudon's aide-de-camp coming along the road, and I shall be sent packing without the pension that's been promised me.' "'Go, go quickly, Wyndham,' said Ewan earnestly. "'It will do you no good, either, to be found up here.' There was nothing for it. Yes, I'm coming, Sergeant. We cannot undo the past, Ardroy, but for God's sake try to torment yourself less about a calamity which may never befall a certain person. Ewan looked up at him with a faint, forlorn smile. And your calamity, he asked. I must endeavor to take my own advice, said his visitor rather grimly. I shall try to see you again, if possible. That is, if you... He hesitated. Ewan's left hand reached up and gripped his wrist. You say the past cannot be undone. There are some hours in it, which I'm glad I can never lose again. That night in the sheiling. Now I know that you were. What at the time I thought you. Three minutes after Keith had got back to his quarters, the correct aide-de-camp appeared to announce to him that he would be taken to Inverness under escort early next morning, as he had been sent for from headquarters. Keith shrugged his shoulders. That meant a court-martial, in all probability, and the loss of his commission. But at any rate the sacrifice was not all in vain, for he had cleared himself, in Ewan Cameron's eyes, of charges far worse than any court-martial could bring against him. All evening he thought of Ardroy up there, destitute in body and tormented in mind, though less tormented, fortunately, by the time he had left him. Yet why, he asked himself, 
should he care what Ardroy was suffering, now that he had cleared his account with him? Was it because he had somehow become responsible for him by snatching him from death? How God knew. But that, he supposed, was why, when Mullins hobbled in with his supper, he handed the sergeant a sheet of paper. I want you to take this to Mr. Cameron tonight, sergeant. Read it, and you can satisfy yourself that it contains nothing which it should not. The note briefly said that the writer would not be able to see the recipient again, since he was obliged to go to Inverness next morning, but that he would go thither with a mind vastly more at peace than he had come, and would go even more cheerfully if he were permitted to leave with the sergeant a sum of money sufficient to provide for the captive's immediate needs in the way of food and clothes. You can repay it at your convenience, Keith had added, but if you will not accept this loan, I shall depart feeling that you have not truly forgiven me. As he expected, Sergeant Mullins made no bones about delivering a missive when he had connived at a much more serious breach of discipline. But when, on his return, he handed his letter back to Keith, the Englishman's heart fell until he saw that Ardroy, having no writing materials of his own, had used the back of it for his reply. And thereon was scrawled with a blunt pencil of the sergeant's these words. If there's any justice on earth... You should not only be reinstated, but advanced at Inverness. I pray you to inform me, if you can, of what happens. I accept your loan with gratitude. It is for me to ask your forgiveness still. Perhaps I shall sleep tonight. Your debtor, you and Cameron. Keith at any rate slept, though he was rather bitterly amused at the idea of being given advancement by the Duke of Cumberland, because he had got himself into a scrape for the sake of a rebel. The cause of his dereliction of duty would be the chief count in his probable disgrace. End of section 20